Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. So there I was, episode 20, with Father, our very first non-Goldwing aviator. And what a great interview, eh, repeat? Absolutely. This one's titled, The Eagle Was Grounded. Man, I can't believe we're up to episode 20 already. This is awesome. But yeah, so we had a uh, an Air Force type uh, with us. Um, yeah, we, we don't discriminate. Everybody's welcome here. That's right. And he spent 23 years flying the F-15 Eagle. And he was the guy that was out there for the first time the airplane got grounded worldwide for, did he say, three or four months? It was a long time. It was a long time. Until they figured out the, what happened. The accident in, incident he was involved yeah. in grounded the airplane. And it's quite a story. Quite a he story. Was, he was just the primary witness. He didn't cause it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what a great, he's a great storyteller. He had a fantastic career. Uh, and I, I didn't know him on when he was uh, on active duty, but I met him uh, whilst we were both employed by our same air carrier. He go. was still in the guard back then, as was I. So we, uh, that's how we got acquainted. And, and it was almost, it was a uh, accidental career, so to speak. Uh, yeah. College, yeah. college roommate talked him into taking a test. Another uh, great story. Another he's great the one story. that went on to fly. So, there you go. Absolutely. Everybody sit back, strap in tight, grab the ejection handle, make sure you're not sitting on it, and enjoy the show. So there I was, episode coming at you now. That's how every great aviation tale begins. You're listening to the podcast, so there I was. We repeat here in New Hampshire, at least for one more day, joined by my co-host, Fig. Where are you at today, Fig? Well, repeat, I am still in Denver, <laughs> uh, but only for another 28 hours, probably. But it is really, I'm really excited to say uh, we have with us, it's kind of a historical uh, day, because number one, we have Father, Father Mike, but number two... This is our first non-gold wing aviator interview. Lead wings. Here he comes. <laughs> father, father came from another branch of the service. So, Father, yes. tell us, how did you get into aviation? What brought you to want to fly airplanes? How did that start? Ah, the biggest thing, brothers, was uh, ever since, you know, like a lot of guys, uh, I've always known I wanted to drive uh, airplanes since I was, uh, you know, four years old. And, uh Went to school up at, uh, in New Hampshire, uh, started to learn how to fly, and then uh, got my commission through uh, ROTC, and that is a whole story in itself because uh, I never wanted to fly militarily. Um, a college roommate wanted to, and I said as mutual support, I'll go take that uh, Air Force qualifying test with you. I took it. And then about three months later, I get a call. It says, hey, if you join two-year ROTC, we will uh, send you to pilot training. So that's how I ended up uh, going, coming into the Air Force. I was, uh, I'll date myself. I was commissioned in uh, 1985 and then went to uh, undergraduate pilot training, advanced Air Force Base. Nice. How about that? Nice. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all kind of about the same time frame, you know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, so where did you 
Where did you fly in New Hampshire? Where'd you get, I'm assuming you got your private here in New Hampshire for you. I did. I did. Yeah. The school is, uh, the school's no longer, um, uh, open. It was uh, Hawthorne college in a little town of Antrim down near, okay. um, Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so, so on a whim, basically you went and took the, uh, uh, was it the was it for ROTC or was it for flying? You know, like the AQTFA. Yeah, it was that uh, um, the AFOQT test. You know, yeah, for, yeah, uh, for okay. POTS. Yep, okay. and uh, scored uh, scored pretty good on it. You know, and uh, well, good enough to uh, get off at a pilot slot. So uh, you know, at the time I was twenty, and I was like, you know, I've got nothing else to do, so why not? Let's why not? give it a let's give it a try. There you All go. Right. So I have to Jeez. ask. Did your roommate pass the test or did he not go fly? <laughs> in which question. case he, he dragged you into it and you got yeah. to fly. That's always, it's always a, uh, uh, everybody always asks that question. And, uh, uh, no, he did not. Oh, no, <laughs> but, really? no, but he ended up having a, a, a good, a, a great aviation career. He, uh, good. he retired about uh, two years ago out of uh, United. Okay. Oh, wow. So yep. he went and yep. flew, he flew anyway, but just not in the military. Absolutely correct. That's all correct. Uh, okay. Where did you go through primary flight training with the air force? What, where, what base? I started down at, uh, Vance air force base in, uh, Enid, Enid. O- yeah. Enid, Oklahoma. Enid by the sea is what we called it because there is uh, no water there. The only thing to do was to, uh, be best flying and then, uh, drink a lot of beer in the weekends. That's about all there was to do. The only <laughs> water there is coming out of the tornadoes, right? Is that exactly that? right. <laughs> you know, and as a, uh, as a New York boy, you know, first time ever out in the Midwest, I couldn't believe the size of those, uh, thunderstorms and hail and, sure. and everything else busting out of those clouds. It was a, uh, it was a good time. I had a, a lot of good friends down there and nice. it was, it was a good time. So T-37s and T-38s both right there at Vance. Yeah, back then, yep, it was the old uh, six-month course, six months T-37s, then six months of T-38s, and then after 12 months, they uh, they rack and stack you, you know, one through, uh, you know, however many graduate. My class had 65 kids, I think, and we graduated 35. Yeah, see, you know, I started out with the standard uh, back in uh, 85 was when I started. It was uh, T-37s, six months, and then T-38s, another six months. And then at the end of that, the instructors buy your performance. So standard standard military training, they rack you uh, one through however however many graduated. Okay. We start we started like I said with uh, sixty five guys when we graduated thirty. And wow. Fortunate. Yeah, it was a big wash. That, that's then. a lot of attrition. Yeah, well, that's back in the Reagan time when they had tons of money. Okay. Okay. Yep. What so, uh, so what did you guys call the T thirty seven? We called it the tweet. Okay. We call it the, the world's only 6,000 pound dog whistle. Absolutely correct. It was, it was, I tell you what, the thing was a lot of fun to fly, but boy, was it, um, it was a mess. It was that, the loudest thing known to mankind. Yeah. That high pitched, really high oh, pitched. So well, yeah. it was a mess. Listeners, I urge you to Google the T37 and uh, look for, look for a video of that thing and you'll see what we're talking about. Oh, oh yeah. It, it hurt. It hurt to hear one go by. Yes. So, so, uh, do you have any, uh, good T-37 student recollections that either terrified you or shocked you or uh, I think you, big, never, you never forget about the T-37? Oh, hell, I'll tell you one real quick here. I, I didn't tell my instructors or anything, but, uh, you know, it's like we're out there on our oh. solo. We're out there on our solo rides, you know, and they're like, all right, you're going to go out there and do some loops, a split ass, you know. And uh, one thing they failed to tell us way back when was the uh, T-37 had has about uh, – one of the fastest G on sets of any little airplane. 
It's got straight wing, right? Just a straight yeah. wing. And all I'll tell you is that uh, I was out there doing my maneuvers like a good student and I'm doing a split S and I will say I am, uh, I'm alive and I'm alive and talking today, but I'm, I'm uh, missing some time from that sortie. <laughs> you G locked yourself. <laughs> I didn't say that. I've just said I'm missing some time. <laughs> and I never, I never told. Oh, uh, so I told my bros through pilot training, but I was like, I don't know what the F happened, but ooh, I'm missing some time. <laughs> yeah. Self, self-correcting, you know, don't do that oh, again. So oh, and, absolutely. And you guys, did you wear a G suit in that airplane? Not the T-37, no. Yeah. So, no. wow. You had, you had the old style parachute yes, strapped sir. on your back. Yep. Yeah. Exactly I actually right. got, I got G-locked in the T-34. We didn't wear one in that either, but Ooh. the instructor was flying and, and he, he put on four Gs like instantaneously. And you ready. And the next yeah. thing I know, I wasn't ready. I had no idea it was coming. And the next thing I know, I'm like uh, in this dreaming state green field and and all of a sudden i'm waking up i'm in an airplane i'm going you got it you got it you got it he goes yeah i got it <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was like okay I said, it's it's scary ass time scary yeah. time. yeah do all that right, what once. about hey what about the uh t38 any you know the any t38 fond memories to, of that I'm oh, the, the plane was a blast to fly i mean it was um not only that, the, it the cool. damn thing I'll looks give, like i'll give the air force that one that, that's a cool looking jet it looks fast it, sitting on the ramp man it I mean, does and then their new replacement, the uh, I think it's called the, uh, the Red Hawk, is uh, it's, that's going to be a badass little trainer. That thing is nice. really, really nice. I'm trying to remember, you know, the T-38, I just, I don't really have any good stories from it. It's tough to remember that one. I just know it was just a, a blast to fly. And I, just, I do know when, uh, whenever we would go out in the airspace, you know, you just go supersonic and do aileron rolls. That's about all you did <laughs> as a student. Well, well, Father, obviously, yes. uh, you, you did well enough to uh, select fighters, which, you know, I don't know what, what percentage of, uh, so I know you had a big attrition rate, so 60 yeah. to down to 30. So yeah. of the 30, what, what percentage of guys got fighters? And then, uh, and then- in, in my class drop, um, I was, a, I was what's called O one class, which was the beginning of the FY year. So we had, uh, we had two F-15s, two 16s, and two A-10s. Um, which was six fighters for the, uh, for the class. And uh, what they did is they asked the first guy to go, Hey, what do you want to fly? The second guy, what do you want to fly? Third guy, what do you want to fly? I was fortunate enough to graduate on uh, the top two. And I said, uh, I really didn't know what I want to fly. And my instructor, great guy. He's like, dude, you need to fly an F-15. And I, at the time I had no idea what an F-15 even looked like or did. <laughs> so I was like, I was okay. like, Okay, I'll take an F-15. So, yeah. So, at uh, we called it in the Air Force. We had a Simon Knight's big-ass party. And uh, they uh, called my name up. You know, Lieutenant Flanagan, you've got a uh, F-15. And, you know, we were, got drunk as all get up. And uh, off I was, leaving pilot training to go uh, take a look at my first F-15. Because I, I had never seen one. So, did, did you know where you were going after the F-15 RTU? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Basically, at assignment night also, they gave you, uh, they said, hey, you'd have an F-15 to Langley or F-15 to Bitburg. Um, but that was all subject to change once you once you graduated uh, um, F-15 school. Which Needs of the military. Exactly and, uh, right. R- RTU, that's, a, that's an acronym, stands for uh, yeah, back then Replacement it was called, Training Unit or FTU, Flight Training Unit. Exactly. That's what the Air Force calls it. Yep. That's what we yeah, called the, it back then. The Marine Corps calls it a RAG replacement right. air group, but it's the same thing. You, it's the training squadron for your uh, tactical airframe. 
You right. got it, brother. It's exact, right. That's exactly what it is. And yep. yours was it uh, uh, Tyndall? No. no well, Tyndall? back then we had uh, so many F-15s. There were uh, two, two bases that trained it. You had Luke in uh, Arizona and Tyndall in Florida. And I ended up going through Luke. We had uh, four squadrons of uh, F-15 training units there when I went through. I went through the uh, 426 Killer Claws. All right. Uh, for, all the, so for all the claws that are still out there, that's where I went through. So I'm I'm going to show my uh, my ignorance here. Uh, Go ahead. Two seat uh, F-15 trainer. F-15 yes. trainer. Two seater. Did it have controls in the rear? Yeah. Unlike the uh, Navy, yeah, all Air Force uh, two seaters got uh, uh, stick rudders, throttles in the back, and okay, uh, basic basic controls. You, know, you put the gear down, things like that. Yeah. So what uh, what was that training like for you? In the I'll F-15? tell you what the, the train. You know, it's a uh, when you first show up, they uh, you know you get. Uh, you do like a two, three sims, you know, and it's the standard training, you know, uh, it's all emergency procedures and just the cockpit familiarization. And then you go out in your first ride and that's with an instructor. It's called a dollar ride. You know, probably, you guys probably had the same thing. And, uh, you know, I was scared shitless walking out to that jet, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're all strapped in, you know, you got the G suit on, you're a big boy. It's the, you know, you're walking out without a parachute, you just got the harness on. And I look up to that cockpit and the F-15 cockpit's 12 feet off the ground. Yeah, it is a monster airplane. It's, it, is, it is long. It is it's, wide. It's, <laughs> it says was, 12 feet high, 12 feet off the ground, really? Yeah, the, the cockpit, yeah. Yeah, wow. top, of the, top of the tails are 18 feet. And uh, I look up and I was like, what did I just get myself into? And uh, the first sortie, you know, uh, you're doing all the checks up front. You got an instructor in the back. It's called your dollar ride. And uh, you get on the runway. And then uh, when you light that, uh, when you light those candles and uh, back then the engines were running 24 to 25,000 pounds of thrust per side and you're clean, no tanks, <laughs> accelerate, takeoff rolls about 800 feet. And uh, you just go straight vertical. Instructor's got the jet. He goes straight vertical up to about 15,000. And then just accelerate on out supersonic, take you out to the airspace. You know, he dials up nine G's and you're like, good God. And uh, came back, you know, landed. You're like, holy shit, what just happened? And uh, after that ride, I was like, this is for me. I've got yeah. this. Oh. I've, oh, I'm I've, in. I've got, I am full up in. This is like the best thing in the world. Right. I am, okay. I'm, at, I'm at home. That's I'm at awesome. home. Yeah. It was wow. black. It was it was unbelievable. I I would imagine uh, that was like you know for the average person that drives a SUV or a minivan that's like strapping into a top fuel dragster. Oh, you know, it, it's here's a funny thing. You know, I'll just it's like uh, I finally get to my first squadron, and uh, my mom and dad are uh, at Langley Air Force Base. You know, and they're looking at the jet, and my mom's never seen a fighter in her entire life, and she's like, "Hey, Mike." When are they going to let you fly the big ones? <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to my uh, my big boy brothers because I respect them immensely. But I was like, Mom, would a little guy rather drive a bus or a race car? Yeah. And she's like, a race car. So I was like, that's what this is. Yeah. That's there right. you go. Hey, just for uh, just for size comparison, uh, you don't have to be exact. But uh, so you went from the T-38. Give us oh, yeah. a give us a wingspan and a length, nose and tail. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then when you went to the F-15, that, that thing's got to be like the size of a tennis court compared to a. Uh, it, well, that's the 
F-15's nickname is the tennis court. But just for comparison, the wing of a T-38, our stab is bigger than it. Yeah. That's yeah, no, okay, the, the stab is the stab. tail. There's the tail wing. The elevator yeah, on the, the horizontal elevator. tail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Our bigger horizontal. than the wing on a T-38. Yes. <laughs> so that kind of puts it in perspective. We yeah. we had a uh, Tomcat driver on earlier, and we we chatted with him, and, and I noticed the same thing about the F-15. The one time I went up with a with an F-15 yeah. is that yeah, when when that airplane has plan form, it darkens oh. the sky, and when oh. the guy turns nose on, he disappears into the sky. Yeah. The, it's, it's so amazing that the face on profile of our big fighters are are virtually invisible nose on from from any more than about a mile and a half to yeah. two miles, and. Yeah. Holy smokes! And then one other quick comparison. I remember this, Father. If we were uh, we were going out of Kadena one day to go out and work with the AWACS guys. Okay. And my wingman and I got out there a little bit early, and I'm at about uh, twenty thousand feet. I check in with AWACS, and he goes, "Yeah, the range is uh, still hot." Uh, I'm working with some F-15s doing or some Eagles doing some uh, BVR, beyond visual range uh, intercepts. I'm like, okay. I know uh, this and I'm going. thinking, well, I want to be out of their way when they go to the exit of the area. Yeah. So I said, what well, what altitude are they working? So I know not to be in their way. And he, he goes, yeah, they're doing BVRs between 400 and 600. So between 40 and 60,000 feet. See. I'm like, yeah, I'm good here at 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be a factor. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> Unless the guy's got a dual engine failure, there's no chance he's going to hit me. So yeah, he's, he's not, not going to be an issue. Yeah, that's yeah. The eagle can get up and go. There's no yeah. doubt about it. There's no so, doubt. All right, so uh, just in, uh, if you could give us uh, bullet points, how how long was the uh, F-15 training, you know, from start to finish? How many stories, how many months, that sort of thing? Uh, well, you know, it was, uh, the class is really small, kind of, it, you know, like, like when you guys went through the rag, it's, um, there was six of us uh, going through training. We had uh, four second lieutenants and then uh, two two captains who were like, you know, previous uh F4 Wizzles, things like that. Yeah. yeah okay. So the, the whole course start to finish was about five and a half months, you know, and they, uh, they start you out with all the basic stuff, you know, BFM, 1v1. And, uh, that, those sorties were a bitch because, you know, it's the first time you're really ever doing uh, offensive, uh, the perch, the six nines and three sets. And when you have a face full of eagle dial up, you know, eight and a half G's in front of you, it kind of first time you ever see it, it gets your attention. And, uh, and, Can you describe yeah. what some of that is? You just used a bunch of acronyms there. Oh, and yeah. We got a lot of yeah. listeners who, do, who don't fly the eagle. So, yeah. well, basically, uh, you know, BFM is the uh, is our building blocks. It's uh, called uh, basic fighter maneuvers. It's, yeah. your cla- it's, it's your classic 1v1 dog fighting, and it's designed to, um, develop um, stick and rudder skills, um, you know, uh, spatial orientation and awareness. Yeah. Energy, energy management, uh, how to control the engines, how to put what's called your lift vector, roll the jet left, right. And, you know, come on, you know, HEs. And then also it's designed to uh, uh, learn precision control of uh, employing the gun airborne and uh, the gun on the F-15, you know, a lot of folks don't realize, you know, they go, what do you mean you only have nine, in half seconds worth of gun, you go, well, when it's putting out a hundred rounds per second, you know, you don't really need that much bullets, uh, in, in the, a, in the airplane. That's a lot of, that's a lot of lead going down range fast. It is, you know, and I, I can't quite remember what, the, what they would call the dispersion rate, but, uh, basically what that is, is how wide the pattern is at a thousand feet 
uh, off the nose of the airplane. And it was pretty tight. I want to say it was like eight to 12 feet, something like that. I could be making that up, but I can't remember. It's all right. But, but just, you're, you're getting close and that's all yeah, that matters. Yeah. So you, uh, you know, you, you do that, you do that offensive. Um, and then the IPs, the instructor is like, okay, he's, he's, I don't want to say proficient because you're not proficient, but he's good enough where he's not going to uh, hurt himself or his flight lead. And from there, then you go to defensive, you know, now the instructor is trying to attack you and you're trying to defend yourself from his gun and his missiles. Hey, father, just to clarify, all this training is done in a single seat F-15. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Yeah. You, you, you solo on the third ride. Okay. But you've already got your wings, so that's not yeah, a, yeah. right. You you have your wings now. You solo the F fifteen, and then every time you go up, you're typically in a single seat by yourself uh, with an instructor. You're always on an instructor's wing every time you go out. And then I like the way you say that because you know, <laughs> wait a minute, who goes up in a single seat with somebody else? You know, yes, I'm just saying. <laughs> you Air Force guys, I have to question that. <laughs> yeah, and then the next, uh, I think when you did. Um, each phase you may have went up with an instructor. Like I know for, for instance, which is, this is the craziest one, you know, night air refueling, there was always an instructor in the, uh, in the backseat. Okay. And that's about the craziest story I'd ever want to be as instructor with a student doing night refueling. Well, cause I know I was a disaster. <laughs> well, you know, when, when we did that for the first time, uh, you know, night air tank and, you know, we're by ourselves. Yes. Single seat. Hey boys, go hit the tanker at night. Good luck. Yeah. Good. And that's pretty much how it is, you know, and, <laughs> I, I do remember that first sortie too at night, uh, the Arizona tanker unit, um, right there out of Phoenix, you know, it's right. a bunch of old guys and they're like, they're so used to refueling students. I remember we're up there at night. Guy could have been my dad refueling me. He's like, all right, boys, settle down. I gotcha. You know? <laughs> they're all, they're all air. That's air guard unit, right? Yeah. It's, all, it's all air guard unit. Yeah, yeah. So they're all airline pilots, yeah. you know, they're all, Hey, yeah, they're, you're yep. right. They're like your dad. Yeah, they are. He's just, I just remember him saying, settle down, son. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, it was classic. But yeah, now, I would say all in all, I think it was like maybe 45 sorties and probably 20 Sims, 15 Sims. And then uh, you graduate the FTU, replacement training unit, and they send you off to your first squadron uh, thereafter. And when you get to your first squadron, like probably you guys know, it's, they don't take your certificates at face value. They put you through a whole nother two, right. three months of hell. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so your first uh, fleet squadron, so to speak, uh, was yeah, what, where? What'd you call it? We call it the fleet. We call it the, your, your first operational squadron. Okay. You know, it's basically the same thing. Now you're going to a real uh, squadron. A, a war, a war ready unit. A war ready unit. And I ended up going to um, Langley, Virginia, the first, uh, Nice. First Tech Fighter Wing, 71st Ironman is the squadron I was with. That, when I was there, there were uh, uh, three squadrons of F-15s there. You had the uh, 94, 71st, and 27th. Hey, how many, uh, how many airplanes in a squadron? Your typical Air Force squadron has uh, 24, 24 fighters in per squadron. And they, sometimes, they'll, like most of your guardians, will have 18, 18 uh, fighters per squadron. So they're pretty big, a lot bigger than what the, like, like the Navy and the Marine Corps are used to, but because they're, they're just supersized. I can remember that first squadron. It's uh, you just hang around the operations desk. You know, we used to do uh, 
three launches a day. Our typical schedule was in the morning would be 16 jets and then around noon would be 12 jets and then around three or four would be 10 jets. So wow. if you hung around, the, if you hung around the ops desk, somebody always had a meeting to go to or they fell out. So as a lieutenant, you get a lot of sorties. It was fun. It was a so, really uh, great time. All right. So on average, uh, when you were a new guy in your squadron, how, how much flying did you get? How many times a week did you fly? That's you know, back, back then, you know, it's like, you know, that's where I feel bad for the young kids going through now. I, I respect them for what they're doing, but their flying is cut, um, you know, 70, 70, 80% of what we used to get uh, in the eighties in the, in the eighties. Um, uh, my first year at Langley, I got 400 hours. Uh, yeah. Nice. Where, yeah. Tactical jet. That is a lot of flying. Yeah. Oh where, where the average kid, where the average kid nowadays is getting maybe a hundred hours a year. So it was just a totally different time, different money. So, I mean, I started uh flight lead upgrade at Langley. I had only been there uh, 10 months and yeah. I started uh flight lead upgrade. And now what's your, uh, what is your, what was your average sortie about 90 minutes hour to one no, 1.5? Uh, uh, all, all said and done average. I think in my logbook says all average is about 1.2, 1.3. Is, okay. Uh, as about as about the average. So that's about three hundred and seventy flights to get that four hundred hours. That is a lot of stinking flying. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a that's a lot of getting in and getting out of that jet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I was telling somebody one day. It's like I left uh, Langley Air Force Base with uh, in three years. I left with nine hundred and eighty hours. Wow. In the F wow. and it was all uh, CT training. It was uh, you know a continuation training there was no there's no war going on there was no doing those eight hour caps although we you know we were training for the big for the big monster right. but that uh, never happened back then we were training for the russian bear back then so, oh, yeah. so you you left there in july of 90 and then then what Where'd then i went there? i went uh to iceland we, we had a uh 57th fighter squadron in uh Keflavik, Keflavik? iceland yeah we had uh 20 22 c models there and I went to uh, NAS Keflavik and I flew uh, the F-15 there for uh, two years. Uh, I left Keflavik in July of '92. So, so yeah. you said you f- you were in in Iceland for the first Gulf War. Yeah, my squadron, seventy first. Uh, you know, I was all pissed off. I was like, uh, I left uh, my squadron in July. Of like July 10th or something. And then in August, August 8th, they deploy for the first Gulf War. Yeah. So yeah, I got Tiny. to watch, I got to watch it on TV just like everybody else, you know, Thank well, you, <laughs> sitting you're in Iceland. Good, you're a good, good company, company here, father Mike, because repeat <laughs> and I were in VMA 223 on the day that, uh, on the day that Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. We, and our squadron was the only squadron not to deploy for me from the East coast. We watched oh, the whole thing. Oh, with good you. God. It was just frustrating. You know, it's like everybody else that watched it, you know, and it's like, you're like, you're in your head. You're like, Son of a bitch! They need me over there. You know, yeah. there's what there was ready like, to go. There's like four thousand fighter guys over there, but they they need me. They got to have me. <laughs> but I tell you what, though, you know, those guys did a hell of a job, and uh, it just goes to show all the good training we had back then of how great it was. But my time in Iceland was uh, it was great. We had a lot of great guys up there. I got to you know intercept. Uh, I saw. I think I my total time there. I think I saw and photographed uh, fourteen bear bombers. So you know we got to do that. It was fun. So, nice. so, so you guys were always intercepting uh, Russians, basically coming 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 into the airspace. Yeah, we did a lot of CT training, um, just like every other squadron. But mm-hmm. we always had um, 
guys sitting a 24-hour alert with uh, jets. And uh, back then, in the early 90s up to 92, and then uh, we were scrambling regularly going against the, uh, not going against, you know, photographing the, uh, the bear bombers as they were coming up towards the uh, Kep, what's called, what was called the Keplivik 8s. Right. I remember yeah. watching them fly over the Navy ship formations a lot when I was still in Hawk missiles and we were up in yeah. the, uh, up in the North Atlantic, up Northern, uh, Norway it, doing those exercises. The, the bears were there constantly. It's, it's so funny. You say that repeat because, uh, just, it just reminded me of something. Um, the weather was bad and the, uh, the bear, I'm, uh, I'm about two miles behind a bear bomber. He's descending down through the weather and he's going to overfly uh, a bunch of, uh, British warships. And the British warships target me. I see a, uh, I get a rolling spike. And then I get a call that uh, it says, uh, it, the call is in his funniest British accent. I'll never forget it. He's like, hey, uh, U.S. aircraft, you are being targeted by a British warship. You need to turn. I tell the guy again, I go, well, you need to look off my nose two miles because there's a bear delta coming down at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Targeting the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, was, I, was, I was like, dude, you're targeting the wrong guy. Right. What was his <laughs> response? Oh, sorry, mate. Well, I'll tell you what. All of a sudden, that rolling spike went away. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was pretty funny. It was pretty hey, funny. In a situation yeah. like that, were you in the goo? Yeah, we were. I, we were. It was soupy all the way down to maybe like 500 feet. So you were just radar. You had a radar trail behind that dude. Uh, yeah. And then did he? when you broke out, did you like fly up to his wing and yeah. give him the old, hey, you know I'm here, right, bro? <laughs> he, he knew we were there the whole time. You know, he's uh, once he broke out. We accelerate back it. We put uh, an eagle uh, left to right on his wing just to let him know, hey, we're here. We see you. Don't, you know, don't get silly. Yeah. Yeah. We can outturn you. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. And back then it was just a big old game. You know, they, yeah. uh, we did it to them. They did it to us. You know? Right. But yeah. I've got some Listeners, great pictures. I would say Google, Google the bear as well, the yeah. TU-95 bear. That is a monster airplane. Um, I don't remember. Does that one have counter-rotating props? <laughs> And I was going to tell you, this was the first time I ever rejoined on one. This was crazy. It was like uh, 20,000 feet. It's got the counter. It's got four yeah. engines, eight props, counter rotating. Yeah. And uh, I pull up alongside him. I'm probably uh, 200 feet off his uh, left wing. And I couldn't believe how loud it was in my cockpit from that. Wow. Guy. <laughs> I mean, it was. So that, that poor guy must have been deaf by the time he finished his career. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'm going holy shit, how are these guys doing it? Because if I can hear them, it was must right. be hell in there. Deafening. It was incredible. It was so funny. I was like, damn. Uh, so were they like, you know, showing you pictures, nudie pictures in the window when you're taking no, pictures? It was, or it, was so, it was so funny. Everybody was like, because if you did anything like that, it would end up at the State Department really fast. Yeah. <laughs> So we had, uh, we had strict orders not to uh, do anything like that. But I'll tell you this, the, uh, the pilots up front never looked at you. They wouldn't even turn their white uh, helmets and even look at you. But the kids nice. in the back, you know, these are teenagers. Yeah, I've got uh, two good pictures. I've got one kid um, waving a little American flag at me. Nice. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then um, great. I go underneath to take a picture. And uh, there's a kid down there looking at a bubble. And he's holding up a Coca-Cola can with the uh, with his finger up, giving me the number one, number one, <laughs> pointing at the Coca-Cola. So I got some good pictures of those kids. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and they're yeah. and like I said, and they're taking pictures of us too. Oh yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yep. 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Seeing what new pods or what new antennas we got on the jets, things like that. So yeah. What, just, hey, what kind of begin. camera? What kind of camera were you using? Because back uh, then nothing was digital. No, I, no. We basically we 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 had two cameras. You had back then the uh, the camera on the HUD could turn ninety degrees left right, so you could run video of. The oh, plane. nice. But then we also had just, it was a classic old school Nikon, I think, 35 millimeter. You know, you had it in your helmet bag, you take it out, lift up your visor and start snapping pictures of the guy. <laughs> yeah. And then when you land, they, you know, you know we're no kidding. When you land, you know, if, if you used all a roll of film, you'd have to move off the guy and then, you know, load in a whole new thing, a 35 millimeter film, old school. <laughs> only, only thing missing was that old big cube, uh, Flashbulb we used to right. have in the 70s. Right. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> right. that was all that was missing. Now, hey, at night, did you do night intercepts back then? Oh, yeah. We flew in Iceland. You flew, uh, you had no choice. It was 24 7, right? Yeah. You well, flew night. Oh, yeah. All the winter the time. Time. Sure, nice, certain yeah. times of the, yeah, I was going to say certain times of the year, you probably only have a few hours of daylight. Yeah. And it was really like at dusk, but we got to, you got real proficient. And then back then, they didn't have, uh, Air Force didn't have MVGs. Uh, so uh, you got real proficient at just doing a night ops with a uh, heading altitude and a lot of calm to your, uh, to your flight pros. Did you guys have on your interceptors, uh, did you have the big light on the fuselage that you could turn on and light? Them no, up? no, we didn't have that okay. thing like the Tomcat had. No. Yeah. Okay. No, no not at all. All right. So, uh, yeah. two, two years flying up yeah. in, uh, Iceland and then what? And then what, and then what happened was, uh, I was looking to go to weapons school and a good buddy of mine calls me up and he's like, Hey, uh, Missouri Guard is uh, converting from F4s to F15s and they're looking for instructors. So I was like, oh, I never even thought of the Guard. And <laughs> just what, a, what, a, what a great deal. Right. So uh, nice. I, make a, uh, I make a phone call and it turns out that there's like uh, six guys I flew with and the 71st who are c- coming over to uh, be instructors down in uh, Missouri in the 110 Fire Squadron. So I call up the, the boss and I tell him who I am, who I know. He talks to those guys. I get a phone call back. He's like, hey, father, uh, when can you get here? Well, uh, we'll bring you on full time. I was like, holy shit. Tomorrow? So I tell the wife, I go, hey, I just got a full time job in uh, St. Louis flying F-15s. She's like, I've never been to St. Louis. I'm like, uh, me neither. We'll figure this out together. <laughs> so, yeah, in uh, July 92, I... Uh, Left Iceland, uh, flew to Philadelphia. Wife picked me up and we uh, drove to St. Louis. And when we got to St. Louis, I thought I was going to I thought I was going to fucking die because it was July 4th. They having a big downtown air show. Oh, shit. It was one hundred and eight degrees. Yeah. And ninety five percent humid. And I had just come from Iceland where the warmest it ever gets is fifty eight. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was incredible. It was, I was boiling like, hot, but at least it was humid, huh? Yeah, it was it was nuts. But and then I uh, you know found a found a place to live there, and I started. We started slowly flying flying our F-15s. The first batch of F-15s we got uh, from the Air Force were their old uh, broken down F-15A models because they were getting rid of their, all their A's and going to the C models. Yeah, so they should so, give up the guard all the shit. It's right? exactly what they did. So it, it took our maintainers. Um, a good six months, you know, I, I call it guardized to get those things guardized where they, uh, they flew great and didn't break, you know? Nice. 
it was amazing to, to see those things uh, get up to speed. In fact, they got them up to speed so quick. I oh, It must have been like 94. We send, uh, this is back when the Air Force had tons of money, big long arrow competition where all these fighters come out to the name Nellis Rangers and it's a big composite war and it's all graded. And uh, our old crappy A models led by a guy named Gumby, we, uh, we win the whole competition. And, all right. And the active duty was not happy because they're flying uh, new C models. Some of the guys had data link. You know, they were all miss-up jets. None of ours were uh, miss-up jets, which is the multi-stage improvement program. We were just old steam-driven A models. Right. So that, the AD was not happy. You guys, not you guys happy. whipped their ass. Yeah, it was, it was funny. It was, it, was, it was a testament to our maintainers. And it also was a testament to the guys that we were hiring from the active duty. Because everybody, we hired like 20-something guys off the active duty. Age and experience wins every time. It always, always does. Did you guys, always. did you guys carry over any F4 guys from the, uh, yeah, yeah, or- they did. Um, that was, I didn't know all the F4 guys, but that was a real contentious time. You know, when, uh, the unit was converting because, you know, right or wrong, um, some guys had to go, some guys had to stay, you know, and that was a real tough time in St. Louis, how everybody was picked, but we ended up converting, oh, I'd say maybe, uh, Probably 10 guys, 10 guys converted to the F-15 from the F-4. Okay. So, yeah, but it was, uh, that was, that was a real tough time for the unit because there was a lot of guys that probably should have converted, didn't. And that all had happened right before I had got there. So the first couple of years was kind of tough. Hey, something I, something I, I thought of, I want to touch on here. Yeah. Just so um, our listeners can understand. So you went from active duty air force right. to the air guard uh-huh. and what, What's kind of a uh, and, and and when I say air guard, I'm I'm going to lump in at reserves because sure. it's the same. And what most you know people don't understand is you're a part time. Now I know you were full time, but you had part time traditional pilots in your squadron. Most of them, right, were traditional yeah, guys. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, well, my what well, my point is is most most people don't understand that when you're a reservist or a guardsman flying in the you know, a fighter unit or a helicopter unit or whatever kind of aviation unit you're in, you have the exact same flight training requirements to keep up with as your active duty counterparts. Correct? Absolutely exact, true. Exact. I, and you're doing it on a part-time basis. Well, you see, yeah, not really. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's also the other that you, Fig, you bring up a great point because that's also the other fallacy. You know, folks just think we fly one week in a month. It's like, no, we fly Monday through Friday. Plus one week in a month. Right. right. And you're absolutely right. I will say this. The, uh, the hardest time of my life ever was when I was um, part-time guardsman and part-time airline guy. Because right. you are on the road constantly and you're juggling, you know, your family, the military and the airlines and all the currencies and crap that go with that. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a busy hombre. It's tough. Yes, it is absolutely yeah. tough. So I know, uh, I know personally, cause I know you personally that yes. you were in that unit for, uh, well, see, uh, you got there in July 92 and I'm not sure when you do, did you stay until the end? Until, stay until uh, the end. Okay. I was, so when, what, when was right that? to the end. Uh, I think the last jet finally left the ramp. The last F-15 left in 2000, late 2009, early 2010. I was squadron commander in 2005 when the BRAC report came down that, 
we were um, basically base realignment, closure, brack. We were being converted from the F-15 to the B-2 bomber out at uh, Whiteman. So that was a tough time because the St. Louis unit, the 110 Fighter Squadron, started out as the 110th Aerial Observation Squadron, had been at Lambert since 1917. So it was a real tough time, very tough time. A lot of tradition uh, down there, just shy of 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We, had, we had been on that patch of land since 1917. So wow. it was, uh, yeah. That's rough. Yeah, it really was. I knew you were a squadron commander. How how long, how many years did you have the squadron? I had squadron for three years. and then, oh, That's great. Um, I was getting burned out. And a, buddy, a good buddy of mine, he was my opso, a guy named Snake. I talked to him and I was like, Hey, I, you, know, you deserve to be squadron commander. I'm going to talk to the wing commander. I'd like to see you, you know, shut this place down with, uh, with grace and dignity. And, uh, he's a fabulous guy. And he ended up taking the squadron in the last, um, basically year and a half and, uh, shut it down gracefully. In fact, him and another guy flew the last two Eagles off St. Louis ramp forever. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty sad day, pretty sad day. Well, uh, so we, uh, y- you and I have a mutual acquaintance that uh, was in your unit, and yep. he was a crew chief, uh, Fatty. Fatty, and love him. Yeah, it's as do I. He's my, I, he's my adopted little brother, That's and uh, so he, you know, he, he, you guys hired him to be a pilot, and then we gained him because you guys got bracked. My unit gained him. Yeah, you guys gained a good, a good man. You absolutely well, well, did. We'll have Fatty on some other time because he's uh, he's kind of a historical guy himself. He he became uh, repeat just so you know he he became the very first monocular Air Force pilot ah, qualified to fly. No kidding! Wow. Ever? Yeah. And and Father Mike had had a lot to do with that, by the way, because at the time he was at the uh, what the guard bureau or the Pentagon? I was I was at the, I'm both. Basically, I was a, a guard bureau guy. Yep. Exactly right. Okay. Okay. Exactly All right. right. Well, I, I'm going to ask you this uh, to tell this story because you told it to me years ago. Uh, you were doing some BFM with one of your squadron mates. I think he was a lieutenant. You, sh- you shoot time. down another airplane, did I hear? Yeah. This, <laughs> well, I, know the, I, I know the story you're going to talk about, Fig. Yeah. So yeah. We, w- would you tell us that story, please? This happened in uh, two, 2007, 2 November, at exactly 10, 11 in the morning. And... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it's, it funny? Well, repeat. This is a this yeah. is a common occurrence when when we get guys to tell us a story. Well, you know that has a bit. It's a big the, story. They're down to, to the minute. To the minute. What yeah. day? What time? What what the weather yeah. conditions were? You know what kind of aftershave I was wearing? Yes. I mean, so yes. I'm I'm not going to interrupt you more, Father no. Mike. Go no, ahead. you guys you can interrupt all through because this this whole story has about a thousand pieces. But um, to put this in context, I, I consider myself the luckiest guy in the world. Um, the only time I ever lost currency ever in the F-15 was on 2 November, 2007. <laughs> I was, I went 20 years straight and never lost landing currency, never lost any currencies in the F-15 until this particular day. Um, what basically had happened was uh, first off, as uh, Fig mentioned earlier, it was a beautiful day. We were scheduled to go out with a four ship. We were going to take, uh, we were going to do ACM, which is air combat maneuvering, but number four, he did not have 30-day currency, so he couldn't do ACM. So we said, all right, this is what we'll do. We'll all brief up together, and we'll take off together, and we'll hit out the airspace, and we'll split up to two separate two ships, and then we'll go ahead and we'll do separate uh, BFM, basic fighter maneuvers, is, uh, is the plan. 
And on this faithful day, what happens is we brief up, everything goes good, you know, beautiful day in St. Louis. We take off at uh, 950 local and it's a classic St. Louis Fall day, clear in a million, 10 plus miles, not a cloud to be had. Jets are clean. Climb up to the block, um, 2022, do all our checks and head out to the MOA. We get to the airspace, split off. I tell three and four, you guys go to the west side of the airspace, one and two. Uh, we're going to take the uh, center, my wingman. We're going to take the center. So uh, that day, our call sign is uh, Mick one, two, three, four. I'm Mick one. I'm squad commander. Uh, one of our young guys, Mick two, we call him a young guy. He only had 1500 hours in the Eagle, but compared to the rest, compared to the rest of us, he was a baby. I had at the time, I think I had uh, like a little over 3,800 hours in the Eagle. Wow. Uh, as we, as we go on out. Um, he's in uh, aircraft tail he's a c model single seat i'm in a single seat he's in tail uh, 80034 and the reason i know that is because i have the gun barrel is up in my office chromed as a uh, as a nice gift yeah the gun barrels from that airplane the gun barrel is from that airplane okay and this was that fateful day that i don't know if uh, you guys heard it in the marine corps but it was that fateful day that the entire um, because of this sortie the entire f-15 fleet a's c's the E models and every F 15 flown in the world were grounded. Nice job, Father. <laughs> exactly, because they had no idea what the hell just happened, because what had just happened had never happened in the history of anything. So we go out, and uh, he wants to do uh, offensive basic fighter maneuvers. So I'm defensive. So we're going to do the first set. We're going to do a uh, what's called the 9,000 perch. And for the viewers, you start basically two miles line abreast. And I call check left 45. So we check left 45. So now I'm out front. He's pointing at me. He gets a radar lock on me. As soon as I hear the spike, I reverse my turn. We're at 18,000 feet. And he's counting down 12,000, 11,000, 10,000, then fights on. And his goal is to try to employ um, missiles and employ the gun on me. So we do the first set and it goes okay. Uh, not great. He can do better. So um, we're down at uh, around 5,000 feet. When we're doing a slow climb back up to 18,000 feet, I do a fuel check and I'm like, you want to do that again? I go, I think I said, you want to see that again? He's like, yeah, I'm going to see that again. So we go, okay. And we start the uh, call check left and I get the spike. I reverse my turn. I'm in a right-hand turn at 18,000 feet. I'm doing 430. He 430 counts 30 knots. 430 knots. knots. Yeah. Yep. Okay. He's counting down 12,000, 11,000, 10,000 at 9,000 feet. He calls fights on. So I continue with the right-hand brake turn. HE's turning into him. And I'm, I'm probably 10 degrees nose low, looking up through the canopy. And he unloads, rolls out, accelerates to 450 knots. And then he rolls, puts his lift vector right on my airplane. In the simplest terms is he puts his helmet pointing right at my airplane. And he dials up uh, HEs. He quickly 
he quickly rolls out and unloads the airplane to about a G and a half and makes a, uh, a knock it off, knock it off call, which as we all know, that's, if you ever hear that, that's everybody stop fighting, yep. cease, clear your flight path, uh, get shit in one sock and acknowledge it. So I acknowledge Mick one, knock it off. Typically in that phase of flight, the knock it off is just usually like knock it off because, you know, the F-15 doesn't have what's called a G limiter. So at that, when you unload and roll and pull at 450 knots, we get a lot of over G's right there where you overstress the airplane and you have to knock it off. But this time he makes a really panicked knock it off. So I keep turning into him and I'm looking at his airplane. I'm looking up at his airplane and his airplane is in a 15 degree bank, 10 degrees nose high. And all of a sudden I see the, the nose starts wobbling um, left and right. And then within a second and a half later, the cockpit right behind the ejection seat snaps off from the airplane. Um, so, wow. Oh my God. Yeah. So um, this thing, it was surreal and I, it is tattooed in my head for eternity. Um, I can explain every detail but it snapped off, the, the cockpit snapped right off from the F-15 about um, 10 inches behind where the canopy hinge, what's called the hinge pin is. If mm-hmm. you ever seen F-15, you know that, that hinge in the back, it snaps right there. Wow. So when it snaps up, he, the cockpit snaps up vertically. So the the pointy end of the cockpit's pointing up to the sky and his ass is pointing at the ground. And I can see him sitting in the cockpit. I can see he's got uh, his green G suit on. He's got two, two white lineup cards, one on each knee. And I can see his hand on the stick. Could you, um, could you see yeah. the cartoon question marks coming out of his helmet? <laughs> I, you know, I, th- this guy, I, I love him. He is uh, his, his call signs crow. He's, He's recovered. He's flying for he's captain. He's doing great. Uh, but at that particular time, I, I could not believe what the hell just happened. This was just effing unbelievable. And everything. I, I, I got I got So at the right before the cockpit snapped in half, or right before the cockpit detached from the fuselage, he was going in excess of 400 knots, right? He was doing exactly 450 knots. <laughs> So when that when that nose when the cockpit snapped and the nose went up, now he's doing I don't know what kind of G is that in a in a I mean in a weird. Plane. It was it was insane amount of G's, and we'll, we'll talk about the injuries he sustained. But it was so many G's that it ended up. Uh, you know how strong the lap belts are in a fighter. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, he tore the left lap belt in half. Oh dear God. <laughs> Yeah, wow. so, so think it's about like, that. I, I would have thought that his body would have given away before the lap belt, but his, oh my. His body should have exploded, but yeah. uh, Crow is a, he's a big boy. If it was my skinny ass, I would have, I would have smeared like a, like a gnat. Uh, but but, but Crow, Crow is a, he's a big old Missouri farm boy, tough That's as what, nails. I remember you telling me that. If it was you, you would have been dead. Oh, I would have, I would have, I would have popped like a water balloon neck. Oh. <laughs> well, that's you and me both, buddy. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. So at that point there, I, the, the only thing I can yell out is uh, eject, eject, eject. So I yell eject, eject, eject. And as I'm yelling that, 
I'm turning into his airplane and I'm slowly climbing up and the cockpit rolls right. And then I see like this, it looks like a cheap Chinese firecracker go off. Uh, look, I'm looking right at the cockpit and the cockpit, ro- it, it can, it's like rolling like a, uh, like a bingo wheel. It rolls back up towards me. And now the cockpit is just dark. Uh, he's, he's ejected out of the airplane at this point out of the cockpit because the airplane's gone. Yeah. I don't, I don't realize he ejected. So I'm, I yell eject, eject. I mean, uh, eject, eject again. And I climb up and now I tell, uh, my other two F-15s who are west of me about 20 miles, I call on a common radio. I tell those guys, Hey, knock it off, knock it off. Bud two just broke in half. And they're like, what? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, knock it off, knock it off. I go, come up my freak, get above 24,000 and come where I am. And I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. So now the F-15, the engines are still running. It's perfectly intact F-15. I look at it and it's, um, it's flat plated straight looking back at me. It's the, the engines are pointing at the ground and where the cockpit would be it's gone it's just the two intakes is pointing at the sky and it does a, a complete flip and then stops so it just, just does one flip and then stops perfectly <laughs> and then i look at it and the, the main landing gear are extending and i'm like what the fuck is that well <laughs> yes when the cockpit broke off it pulled the emergency gear uh, extension so the gear okay. free, so the gear free fell out. Oh, so then, funny. so then the jet goes into this perfect flat spin, just perfect, falling down. The cockpit is off. It's uh, right two o'clock, maybe a half mile, and there's all sorts of debris in the air. The uh, the internal uh, ICS boxes, which are our, our jamming boxes and things like that. I see those things falling out. I'm like, holy shit! I'm like, where? But then I'm like. Where is Crow? Where is Crow? Hey, Father, is, is yeah. all this stuff coming past your canopy? I mean, are you not flying yet. through the... Okay. All right. not, not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is where I become dumb. Um, yeah. I remember it. I, I roll up. I'm at about 18,500 feet. And now I'm looking straight down on the F-15 falling, the cockpit falling, and all the debris. And I can't see Crow. I can't see him anywhere. And all of a sudden, at about 14,000 feet, boom, I see, I see a, a white and orange parachute. I'm like, yes, thank God he got out. Because up until then, I, there was, I couldn't see him at all. I didn't know where he was. Oh, boy. So now I see the parachute blossom out. I'm like, yes, he's out. He's floating down. This is what I want to say. Um, so this is where I would tell viewers, if you ever see an F-15 break in half, um, <laughs> Don't take your jet, which is perfectly good, and stick it in the middle of the, the, of the debris field. Because <laughs> that's what I did. Um, okay, so learning occurred. All right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> know not so, to do that again. <laughs> I have to tell you, of uh, everything I read about tactical aviation, there's no manual that says don't do that. So, yeah. so basically what happens is I'm at 18,005 and I roll – pointing down vertically i'm pointing right at the crow's parachute i'm about maybe at this point now 
5,000 feet above it. And I want to go and see him. As I'm coming down, I've got the throttles in idle and I'm doing maybe 300 knots accelerating. And all of a sudden I see this, I, I tell the accident board uh, in, the, in the investigation in the following days, I go, all of a sudden I see this big gray park bench coming at me. And what it, yeah, and what it is, it's, uh, it's about a six foot, eight foot side of the F-15 that's been ripped off the jet and it's just floating down. And all of a sudden it's, it's, I see light gray and then it flips to that internal, you know, that lime green paint. Right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realize what the hell it is and I am going to smash right into it. So I take the stick and I, I slam it into my lap. I bury it. So my nose now jacks up. I do like, I do like seven G's. I'm like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> so now I look up and I tell the accident board, I go, now there's a beer keg coming at me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and what it is, it's the, uh, it's called the ECS uh, turbine of the F-15. And what that is, it it supplies all of our air conditioning and pressurization for the cockpit of the F-15. And it looks like a giant beer keg and it is coming right at me and there's nothing I can do. Um, so I do what every fighter pilot does. I duck. <laughs> I duck. I duck and it goes flying right over my head and, uh, you know, through the tails, doesn't touch a thing. Right so between I'm, the twin tails. Yeah. Oh, so, man. So I end up now, I'm like, holy shit, my heart's going. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, I, so I go, let's be smart about this. So now I just start um, a left-hand turn at uh, 250 knots above Crow's parachute. I go, he's going to be the last thing that hits the ground. Everything's going to hit the ground first. So I'm just orbiting above it. And then I watch the F-15 hit the ground and it lands in this uh, massive wooded area. And it's like slow motion. It just came down, hit the trees. And then it's like thousand one, all the trees fall. You see them all fall. And then you go thousand two. And then all of a sudden the jet just explodes. It had about, we were clean that day. We had no external tanks. So at the accident, we had done one set flying out. He had maybe uh, say 7,500, 8,000 pounds of fuel on board. Wow. And and it just explodes. And then I see the cockpit hit and the cockpit didn't burn. It just hit the ground like a, like a bag of hammers, just boom. And just, that was it. So now, yeah. and then I see. Uh, well, there's no fuel up there. So, you know. Exactly. So, th- so then I'm watching and, you know, and I see uh, a lot of the internal boxes hit the ground and they just look like little uh, puffs of smoke. They're just, they're just impacting the ground. That's all. So now crows about maybe 9,000 feet above the ground floating down. So I'm like, okay, I got to go. I got to go see my brother. So I come down and I start circling him and I see him in the parachute and he's, uh, he's got his helmet on and tell the viewers, I was getting, I'm getting really close to him. His, uh, he's got his visor down, his helmet, his mask is still on and he's laying in the, he's, he's all slumped over in the parachute. Oh boy. And, and I'm like, come on, crow, wait, wave to me, you know, wave a foot, do something, you know, cause I, I didn't, I thought he was dead. I honest, my honest, I honestly thought he was dead. Uh, Cause it was such a violent thing. 
Yeah. So now I'm like, I've got to see him. So I'm getting closer to him and closer to him. I'm passing him by like 50 feet. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. Thumping <laughs> him good with that wake turbulence. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I'm like, come on, man, wave at me, do something. And uh, the next day crows like this. He's like, he's like, you son of a bitch. He goes, I thought you were going to fucking hit me. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, man, I, I needed you to wave at me. All you had to do was wave me off, man. Yeah. I go, all <laughs> I needed you to do was wave, you know, something. So I'm watching him come down and we're in uh, Southern Missouri. And it's a lot. We're in the, over by the Mark Twain forest area. And it's just pretty much Mark Twain forest, which is all it is. A lot of forest. And um, he's coming down and I'm like, we're never going to find him. He is going to land in the woods and, and we're never going to find him. But unbeknownst to me, as he's getting down below about 100 feet, he, uh, he's got one arm that is usable. So he's able to kind of steer the parachute into like this, without exaggeration, I'm saying the clearing was probably 20 yards by 20 yards, if that. It may have even been smaller. Wow. He comes right down in there and hits that ground like a big thud. Parachute comes down, and then he's just laying there. So now I'm orbiting overhead and, you know, I switch over to uh, uh, 243 nothing, um, which is the guard guard frequency for the the, the military. And I'm trying to talk to him on the radio. I see him on the ground and he's not moving. There's nothing going on. So at this point now I climb up and the whole time I I leave my tape on uh, because everything in the cockpit's filmed and recorded. I purposely leave my tape tape on and I'm talking to it uh, for the accident board. I'm like, Hey, I'm going down to 200 feet. I go, I know I'm not allowed to do this, but I'm doing it, you know, at orbiting around. And um, my other two F-15s I mentioned earlier, they're still up above me at uh, 24,000 feet. I've got, I direct one of them to go uh, to call operations, which is the squadron ops. Mm-hmm. And then I, I direct the other guy to go on the Kansas City Freak to go, hey, are there, are there any tankers airborne? Is there any military assets out here that can help us, uh, you know, help us get Crow out? So we find a Civil Air Patrol guy in a 172. He's about uh, 75 miles east of us um, surveying the marijuana fields that, that grow out in uh, Missouri. <laughs> So, so yeah, I, uh, I send it, I send one of the F-15s and go, go get that guy. I need him, you know, and I forget though, how long it takes a 172 to go 70 miles. Oh yeah. You know? well, yeah. That's almost F- an hour. F- F- <laughs> it was, it was eternity. So finally he goes out, finds <laughs> this guy. We get him up on freak. We have a, we got a Victor capability in the F-15. So we, we're talking to the guy and, uh, you know, which seemed like a, a three hours. It probably was, you know, 10, 15 minutes. We finally get this guy over to me. And um, I'm like, I'm talking to him. I'm like, I'm trying to talk his eyes on where Crow is. Right. And I'm like, real quickly, you called it Victor capability for the listeners. That's the ability to talk on the VHF frequencies that the civil airplanes speak on. Military is usually on a uniform or UHF frequency. Yeah. Some some birds can do both, the Harrier, the Eagle, Tomcat. Exactly. Sorry. Nope. That's a good call. So if I'm like... I, I'm, he can't get his, uh, he, he can't find him on the ground. So I'm finally like, yeah, do a turnaround point. He's like, yeah, I go, okay, I'll, I'll call you a turn. And I just need you to do, 
turn around a point because at this time I've been at like 200 feet and I'm doing like 275 knots, which is not a lot of gas, which is not, yeah, I'm burning a lot of gas. And also, even though it's only 270 knots at 200 feet, it's like, I've been doing like like this three and a half, four G turn for like 20 minutes. So my skinny ass was getting a little tired. Getting fatigued. (laughs) I was getting, (laughs) I was getting a little fatigued. So finally at, um, Crow ejected at exactly uh, 10.11. At 10.40, I'm bingo fuel, which means I've, I've got to go home. So I start flying home, and my other two F-15s, they find a um, St. Louis lifelock or safe flight or something. It's one of those um, medical medivac. rescue. Medivac, yeah, medivac rescue helicopter. helicopter. Yeah. Just happens to be like 80 miles away. So they end up getting him on freak, direct demand. The locals on the ground have finally found a crow in the woods. And they end up uh, picking him up, get him on the life, uh, the life uh, rescue helicopter. And from the time he hit the ground, 40 minutes later, he was in the helicopter en route to Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis. How about that? Yeah. And what was... Uh, nice. What was the worst part was the, the whole way flying home, which was only from where he ejected to St. Louis, was only maybe 10, 15 minute flight. I, I thought my wingman was uh, was dead. I, I land and um, I, I felt like rubber dog shit. I was just I, I oh, couldn't yeah. believe I couldn't believe what just happened. Uh, horrible. And uh, Willie B, he was our soft. Yeah, he, he comes out and he goes. They got him. He's okay. Wow. And I'm like, nice. and I'm like, thank God. But, but Crow, he, it took a long time to recover. He was pretty, uh, pretty beat up from that ejection. That ejection was massively violent and everything that could have went wrong in that ejection went wrong. <sighs> so he was one beat up kid. But if any of your viewers want to read the report, it's actually, um, it's in the public archives, the AIB, it's called, uh, Action, yep. Investi- Action Investigation Board. And it's, uh, it's published there. It's a pretty much, it's a pretty scrubbed down report, but it gives you the general idea of what, of what happened. You know. So where, where would, what would they put in as a Google search term? What do you think? If they just actually Google um, Air Force Accident Board, Accident uh, Reports. Okay. They'll find it. it was, and the report was, I think, published in February of 2008. Okay. And because of that accident, that's they made this public. They, they tried to do it really fast um, because it impacted every F-15 in the entire world. We were ended up right. we we ended up being grounded until they actually found out what was wrong. For probably four months, we were grounded. Oh, the uh, the F-15Es they came back flying maybe uh, two three weeks later, but the uh, the single seat fleet, we were grounded for uh, four, a good four months until um, the accident board definitively found out what had happened. They were like, it was a uh, catastrophic failure of what's called the upper longeron. And what, in the simplest terms, most fighters have built um, but two upper lower, two upper longerons and two lower longerons. And within the simplest terms, those are I-beams that bolt in to connect to the main fuselage of the, uh, of the fighter jet. Okay. Stiffens it, stiffens the fuselage. Yeah. So, and, and what had happened was um, Air Force had never inspected those pieces of material. 
And we had a batch of F-15s that were manufactured incorrectly. They were uh, too thin or the material wasn't the right rigid, uh, rigidity. If that's a word. Rigidity. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah. once they, and that's what the accident board found out. What had happened was um, the right upper longeron had, had developed a crack over the years. And then on that particular day, it decided to f- fully break. And then what had happened was the other three longerons were uh, unable to uh, carry the load. And it just snapped. So I bet when he unloaded, uh, you know, to go outside the turn and then slap the G back on, he he felt this snap. Probably heard it sound like a sh- probably a cannon going well, off. The, the, it, if you talk to him, the first thing he says he remembers he has he had no idea what happened. Um, but what he had thought first was when he unloaded and came back on the G, the long he didn't hear it crack, but what it did is it cracked the cockpit. So all the pressurization in the cockpit dumped. So uh, whole, that's when he called knock it off. That's when he called knock it off. So the whole cockpit fl- uh, filled up with um, debris from the floor and uh, mist. So he couldn't yeah. see. And then right after that is when the cockpit snapped. And when oh, it boy. snapped, it ripped the canopy off from the back to the front. So he was in a convertible immediately. He was in a convertible immediately. Wow. And he and his initial thing was he he knew the canopy ripped off. He thought in his head, oh, it ripped off and hit the tails, ripped the tails off. I'm out of control. So he's in there trying to fight this thing to get it back under control where there wasn't a chance where there wasn't a chance in hell. Yeah, he, he was moving Joe was not responsive. Stick was <laughs> yeah. not connected to any flight control. So, wow. And. When the canopy ripped off backwards, it hit his left shoulder, um, okay. broke his shoulder. Um, what's the bone between the elbow and the shoulder? That uh, what's that? Oh, the humerus. It yep. shattered that like a bamboo stick. Oh, and oh, oh, then oh. and then it it raked his it smacked his helmet, and then on the um, the Aces two ejection seat. Mo- I'm sure the Martin Baker has two. We got two pedo tubes left and right. Yeah, takes a sample of the air so it knows yes. high speed, low speed, high altitude, it's, low altitude. Exactly. It sheared the uh, left pedo tube off and damaged the, uh, the upper New static port. Yeah. <laughs> so the, when seat, he, the seat kind of went dumb at that point, didn't it? Yeah. So when he finally ejected, he was only able, unlike the Martin Baker, the Aces 2, we have two, uh, two side poles left and right of your mm-hmm. thighs. Um, you could pull one. Ideally, you want to pull both. He was only able to uh, pull the right hand handle and yeah, then, the left shoulder destroyed. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, the, uh, the actually the seat actually worked as advertised, you know, it uh, blast, he ejected at 18,000, got a drogue suit at 14, five, slowed him down. And then thereafter the parachute uh, uh, deployed out. Thank the Lord. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, once all set was all said and done, when we get back on the ground, um, nobody is believing anybody that an f-15 broke in half right yeah they don't they don't do that no no that doesn't happen we're all worried about uh crow in the hospital we find out you know he's okay he's stabilized they've got him all good so we're all up in the squadron everyone's talking to me they confiscate our tapes you know we're all pissing in bottles for drug tests and things like that That day, you know, that night we get, uh, we have, once we find everything's good, you know, we have quite a few beers. And here's the funny part. I get home and um, 
prior to getting home, I called my wife up. I go, hey, you know, you're going to you may hear something on the news. I'm going to let you know we're all good. Everybody's good. Can't talk. Yeah. But I get home and then um, I'm getting a lot of phone calls from uh, all my bros throughout the whole Air Force. Sure. And news they, like that travels really yeah. fast. In what a community. did you do? <laughs> what did you do? That's like everybody was like that. But I get this one phone call um, from uh, the ACC commander. He's our uh, he's the Air Force's four star that runs tactical air command. So that's mm-hmm. air combat command. Yeah. Well, I get a call from uh, his um, what do you call it? adjutant aide. Excuse me, aide. It's usually like a colonel or, or one star. I don't even remember. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, bullshit. I hang up on him. <laughs> yeah yeah right this guy no so he he calls again and i'm like yeah bullshit hang up on him then um the, the four star calls yeah bullshit <laughs> well I, I pick up the phone he's like father this is general so-and-so don't hang up <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, that's yeah. And the thing is so funny is I'm at home, you know, and it, it was probably like at 930 at night and I'm standing, there, I got my t-shirt on, I'm in my underwear. And now I'm like, holy shit, this really is the four star calling my house. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what happened? So I tell him the quick story. He's like, no way. I go, uh, yeah, sir. It, it broke in half. And then uh, about two days later, they get an accident board together and they come out and they interview us all. And turns out when um, they go out and f- they get the wreckage, the wreckage is um, the the jet and the cockpit are a half mile apart. And then it's about a three mile long uh, debris field. And they're like, yeah, he was right. This jet broke in half. I was in my description of the breakup. I was six inches off from where it actually broke. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to ask you. Yeah. A question because you you gave me this story when it was pretty fresh yeah uh, in person uh we were down in uh, in operations uh yep. at, at a undisclosed airport somewhere yes. in the world uh you you said um you you told and you skipped it so i don't know if uh if you don't want to talk about this that's fine there was a farmer on the ground oh. yeah yeah at, could you could you tell that yeah. part? Yeah, basically, yeah. What had happened was, you know, you get a big explosion on the ground. Um, everyone's going to the big explosion because that's where yeah. the cool, that's where all the cool shit is. But that's not where the uh, the air breather is. <laughs> so, right. what it happens is, um, a young girl uh, she sees the uh, uh, parachute come down, and then she tells her dad. You know, he, then the dad wants to go. Um, go find he wants to go with wreckages and she's like no over here so this guy young farmer out there gets in his four-wheeler and he ends up uh, going out and um, finding crow in the woods where everybody else is at the f-15 wreckage you know he's the guy who finds crow out in the woods and um, crow is out there in the woods he hasn't um hasn't taken his helmet off hasn't done anything and the first thing you talk to Crow, he's pretty funny. He sees the farmer's face and that, and he tells, he can tell right away from the farmer's face that he is one messed up hombre. Uh, Crow is. So the yeah. farmer, the farmer goes through Crow's uh, survival gear, pulls out the radio and hands it to Crow and Crow's in shock in and out, you know, 
and he doesn't even touch it. He's just like, he tells the farmer, leave me alone. Don't touch anything. Get help. <laughs> but yeah, this, uh, this young girl is the one that, uh, you know, you know, saved a lot of valuable time in, in uh, pointing to where Crow went down. So, oh, that's awesome. So yeah. what, what, what I was getting at is like, it seems like you told me when the farmer was on his way there, that's, this is when you were down at 200 feet. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, go, so go ahead. I no, no, tell, refresh me here. Cause so you, you said that, so you were, you were making passes. You were still trying to, to, oh, to, to yeah. get, to yes. get a, a, assess crow's condition. Yeah. This is so, right? I totally forgot about this. Yeah. Cause they end up finding the guy and interviewing them and, um, he, every time I was coming back over Crow, the guy would run away because he thought I was coming in to um, strafe him. You know, I was protect, protect my wingman. He had to, yeah. Every time I was coming in, the guy would duck for cover or he'd get on his four wheeler and, and, and run away because he thought I was coming in to, uh, to, to strafe him and attack him. Yeah. Oh, I had forgot about that part. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, I never saw the guy on the ground. I saw cars and everything else, but I yeah. never, I never really saw that guy on the ground. Yeah, what a great yeah. Story. People are afraid that don't know are afraid of the military. They don't, they oh. don't know what we're going to do. You know, we're just guys, but they don't know that. <laughs> I'm down at 200 feet, and the, the, the eagle's a pretty loud bird. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it sounded like Armageddon every time you came over. Oh, I know it did. I know it did. So yeah. Well, yes. The detail that you have and the fact that you, you know, vivid details. So, uh, you know, a spatial, uh, what's that called? Repeat spatial. Uh, uh, you, you, you hear it a lot. Spatial and time compression or yes. time compression. You know, guys yeah. that have a tra traumatic event, it's usually an airplane. Things yeah. slow way down and you oh. see like, yeah, like every time we've heard an ejection story, we. You know, uh, we, we heard from uh, Nasty and, and also uh, Jake, you know, they're yeah. like, I, I remember seeing the airplane go away. I remember looking at the side number yeah. and the oh, yeah. details, it, the things that happen when really it's impossible to think that you can catch something in a fraction of a second. But you have this great detail. Oh, yeah. he, said he remembered sitting there wondering, was, well, is the ejection seat not going to work? Because he had pulled the handle and he watched the canopy slowly come away from the airplane. And then he's kind of sitting there, was this thing going to go or not? Well, Bam. Then it booted him in the ass. You know, said he hurt his back. <laughs> father, father, you know, says, I see, I see the airplane broke. It broke right here. And you were, yeah. you know, damn near spot on. And then, oh. well, you know, here comes a keg of beer at me. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Bench. And it's, it is, the, it is so, so, so true. It's uh, it just time slow. Well, your mind slows everything down and you just, the detail you see is amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. And, that is wild, and the clarity yeah. you can hear, it's unbelievable. Well, thank but, you for that yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the story that grounded the, grounded the fleet. Wow. Yeah. Well, I know, I know we've been going for a while, repeat. Yeah. Um, you, what 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 else you got? Anything else you want to disclose or talk about? Do, do you ever about? pull the handle? Do you ever? Yeah. Uh, no. What's, what's no? I, you know, never reach for the handle. Um, thought about it, never yeah. reached it. Yeah. Um, I think I had like two. You know, everybody's got those. Uh, you know, first off, flying fighters is dangerous. It just is. You know, it just is. And um, on for the civilian public is a lot of guys and girls think that we, uh, anytime we get in trouble, we uh, pull the handles and eject, but uh, the truth be told, that's like the last thing any of us ever wanted. Right. To. And, and in fact, I would argue that uh, more, more pilots have died 
oh, in denial. Absolutely. I'm not pulling that handle. I am not I, pulling that handle. They're going to bring the airplane back, and it's 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 frequently you know cause of death. Um, it didn't in, in, in these words exactly, but cause of death was late ejection. Yes, you know I've had uh, times where two sorties where I thought I was going to die um, with, and without even ejecting. You know there was no way I had I had time ever to eject. You know, and that 15 would do a lot of air to air. Yeah, and, so it's like a mid-air, a near mid-air. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, this one I remember as young wingman, you know, we're out over um, off Oceana fighting F-18s training and two separate air-to-air fights come together, which happens. And I look up and I am looking right at an F-8, F-18 coming right at me. And I'm like, and I remember saying to myself, I was probably like 27 at the time, I'm like, fuck, I'm dead. And that's all I say. And within a millisecond, he passes right by me. I could hear him. I could see his, uh, I could see the rivets on his tank. I could see the gun door. I see everything we pass. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was close. I'm still here. <laughs> so I do everything wrong thereafter. You know, you're supposed to knock it off and think, I go, ah, fuck it. I'm a young wingman. I just keep fighting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to shoot his ass for that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah, you always have those, you know, and it's going to happen. You know, it's, nice. uh, it's just a dangerous business. It's just a dangerous business. It, uh, but I will say, I loved every second of it. I've, I feel like I'm the most privileged guy in the world to have had the opportunity to do what I did. It was great. Loved it. Awesome. Wouldn't, oh, yeah. uh, wouldn't give it up for a second. And if your roommate hadn't talked you into taking the test, where would you be today? You'd be an accountant. Who who knows? Who knows? You know, what what, what the heck I'd be doing. But yeah, that was, it was just a a phenomenal time. The whole experience, as you guys know, you know, the friends you meet, the bonds, they're they're for eternity. Oh, you got that right, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. We would all die for our brothers. I just thought of a kind of off the cuff question. Yeah. And I, I, it's a rhetorical question. I know the answer already, but I'm going to ask it just so it's out there. So anybody that's flown tactical jets, it takes it, you know, especially somebody like you who had a lot of experience in tactical jets, it takes a toll on your body. Oh, Are you comfortable talking about, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of aches and pains you have now? Well, you know, well, you know, what's so funny is, um, every one of my like bros, brothers and sisters that have flown the jet for a long, long time. Um, every one of them have, uh, neck and back injuries, yeah. big time, big time, uh, surgeries, compressed discs, um, fused necks, things like that. Yep. Me, on the other hand, um, I never had a neck injury ever, never uh, hurt my back ever. But what happened to me on my last sortie ever in the F-15, unbeknownst to me, I was out doing a basic fighter maneuver and I, I pull, I do about a, 8.7 G turn and I feel a little sting in my eye. And I think it's just, I think it's just sweat. So I wipe the sweat off. I keep fighting, land, go home, wake up the next day. I can't see out of my eye. It's just total black. Um, what had happened was I had uh, a lot of guys get detached retinas and things like that. I actually ruptured my retina. Um, and what happens thereafter, it's like 50, 50, there's absolutely nothing they can do. Um, I'll give you the, I'll give you the technical term. The retina goo 
leaks back to the cones and, and <laughs> damages and damages the cones. Um, some guys don't get any injuries. Some guys do. What happened to me was I lost um, about 85% of my color vision in my right eye. And then my eye is only correctable to 2100. So wow. it's, per- it's permanently damaged. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I never had a back injury or neck injury, but I've got this eye injury. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm one, one for one on, on your last thinking flight too, right? <laughs> I mean, my last one. You know, well, was, how about well, that? I said it was my last flight unbeknownst to me. I got oh, told. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I got told. Yeah. So the gotcha. flights okay. Are, so that's kind of like my wallet. Where's your wallet? I found it. And it's always in the last place you look. Yeah. You don't keep looking if, uh, if you find it. So exactly. yeah, you would have kept flying if, uh, if it hadn't been the injury. Okay. Thank yeah. You. The flight surgeon came up and, uh, he's like, Hey father, he goes, With that kind of injury. He goes, you're, you're, uh, you're medically grounded until we figure out what to, uh, what to do where to go, you know? And at that point there to tell you, honestly, um, I wouldn't wish the end the injury on anybody, but I had been in the jet for um, 20, almost 23 years straight. That's a great run, but you know, so it is it, a great run. It, I mean, it really was. And yeah, as we all know, it's a young person's game. So it was time to let someone else do it. Right on. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have preferred to have a nice end of training flying, you know, things like that. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. So. Hey, hey, we all know it's coming to an end somehow. We just don't know how. Exactly right. Exactly right. right. So, you know, and things, you know, it, it happens. It happens. Well, Father, I want to uh, say uh, thank you for your service. Thanks for stepping ah, up. And, hey, no, and, uh, thanks, thanks to you. Thanks to you guys, too. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure having you today. So I'm going to go ahead and close it out here. Uh, Father, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back at some point in the future and join us. Um, I absolutely will if you have me. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've got a lot more good stuff. In, in 23 years, I'm guessing you have one or two more stories you might be yeah, able to share. Yeah, I could probably squeak out, squeak Listen, out one, I, one more. I know for a fact you, there's more stories in there because you've told me more stories. You need to just <laughs> right. You know, next time we do this, we'll do this in the evening and have a, have a cocktail, and that usually breaks, uh, breaks some Breaks a story or two. Three. There you go. So, all right. Well, thank you, Father, for uh, joining us. Now, I, I hear truly I an honor. honor. It, all right, indeed thank, it thanks is. Thanks for having me repeat. You take yeah. care, brothers. It, it is. All, All right. right. Well, I also want to thank uh, Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab. MacGeekGab.com is where you can find him. That's the best tech podcast going. Dave helped us put all this together and has made uh, made So There I Was possible. If you have any questions or if you have any questions of Father, we can get them to him. You just write to us, email fig at so there I was dot us or repeat at so there I was dot us. You can find us on Facebook at so there I was dot us slash Facebook, on Twitter at so there I was dot us slash Twitter. I also want to take another quick opportunity here and mention a uh, an, an upcoming advertiser. It's at robinsbirdbraindesigns.com or eb that's echo bravo 4.us slash aviation gift and it's uh, a gift for the aviator that has everything a set of four handsome coasters uh, each boasting a different engraved flight instrument on them uh, and if you have a light airplane you can have your tail number engraved on them or your call sign or the last name of your favorite pilot whatever you'd like on there robinsbirdbraindesigns.com will custom make these for you so uh, for those. those of our listeners who are non-aviators but have an aviator that you'd like to give a christmas gift to there you go in the meantime thank you father 
for uh, your service. Thank you, Fig, for your service. We'll see everybody next week and check six. Do not press means press right away. Mistakes were made. Marge will clean this mess up later. <laughs>